This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. This episode is supported by Trustonomy, an original podcast from OneTrust. Every good relationship you have, personal or business, it involves trust. But we all know that trust doesn't just happen, right? We've all lost trust in a friend or a brand or a product. Trustonomy is a new podcast that looks at true stories from the past to understand how trust works and what makes it stronger and how to rebuild it when it's broken. Now, you know, I'm a sucker for a good podcast that weaves historical stories and relates it to what's happening today. So I thoroughly enjoyed this Trustonomy episode and recommend that you check that out as well. Search for Trustonomy in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Many thanks to the OneTrust team for their support. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Matt Goldman. And we're having 20-minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue. Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter. Today on the podcast, we talk with Brian Zerker, founder and CEO of Scene. He talked about the challenges of building a SaaS app for large-scale brands to help promote their social marketing channels through powerful influencers and brand advocates online. CodeShip makes continuous deployment simple and easy. Go to CodeShip.com slash RocketShip to get a free trial and 20% off three months. We'd also like to thank InVision app. Envision is by far the best prototyping and collaboration tool on the market. Go to Envision app forward slash rocket ship to get the starter plan free for 90 days. 
Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. We're here with Brian Zerker, the CEO and founder of Scene. Brian, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. So tell us uh, the quick pitch of Scene. Yeah, Scene is a company that helps brands and brand marketers build audience engagement on platforms like Instagram and Twitter. We use uh, our, our software platform, which includes a campaign management system and influencer network to help do that. How did you guys find this problem? Uh, very carefully. Um, <laughs> uh, we actually started out building a consumer travel application and quickly figured out we weren't going to get uh, traction enough on that. But we really liked uh, building data sets by using locations within images. So we early on in the Instagram founding, um, founding team, we talked with them about pulling data location out of photos. And... Um, Soon we made a business-to-business -business dashboard of photo locations, and then eventually we talked our, our way into the brands and to find out that uh, that was going to be a channel they wanted to do marketing on, and they did not have tools to, to start to do that. Nice. So how did you um, kind of approach them with, like, we've got photos? How did that look in those initial conversations? Yeah, when we started pitching um, around photo and, and location, one of the cool things was it was just really novel. So I think there was a lot of just tech buzz interest in, hey, dashboard of all your locations and the consumer sharing of photos. It was kind of an easy in to just do an initial pitch. Um, and we sold deals like that. Um, eventually, you got to provide value. And, mm -hmm. um, and as it turns out, um, the good news was they, they were still intrigued by the, they knew there was something there, but they didn't know what the there there was. And mm -hmm. we were able to pull out of them that it was really about campaigning. And um, so I think those early conversations were le largely due to the novelty of, of what we were initially doing. Today, it's definitely more about talking about our, our current case studies, who we've worked with. We've been fortunate to work with name brands that people know and use, so other brand managers don't feel as risky following suit. Okay, so you've kind of leveraged um, some of the early customers and, and used those names to, to build confidence with your uh, current customers or with bigger yeah, that's, customers? That's correct. I mean, for us, we try to at least... Uh, act on, on some of the things we preach, which is being content creators. So, you know, we write a lot of, we just try to give away as much knowledge as we have, which turns out to be good lead generation from, you know, campaign planning guides and case studies and different things like that. So, I mean, you guys have some big clients just looking at your site. There's Ford, there's Ram, there's the University of South Carolina, Bath and Body Works. Um, give us an example of how you've landed one of these these customers yeah for i mean some of them uh, you know one of the cool things about marketing and specifically i you know I, I don't like the term social media marketer but you know somebody whose job is primarily focused on these channels is it's still a pretty small group of people and they generally move around to the same companies. So okay. luckily, some of our customers have moved on and brought them with, brought us with them. But uh, really, what we do in terms of landing these clients was, um, you know, largely we we go out there and we we figure out sort of one one of our customers' problems to solve, and we leverage the relationship we have with them. And part of our business comes through agencies. So okay. you know, it, that's great for us because that's sort of a built-in distribution channel. Um, that enables us to have 
access to a a wider variety of clients. But um, I'd say we had some crazy great sales tactic, but our tactic has primarily been, you know, give away as much knowledge, bring them in and sell solution, not product. And it's generally been pretty helpful for us. No, so it's a a largely an inbound strategy is what it sounds like, as opposed to like an outbound trying to get forward on the phone. We, we could not afford to do that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. Um, you know, really, um, that, that's really what it's been a part of is, is a combination of, of PR through getting articles placed in, you know, good, solid um, trade magazines, being experts in those. So, you know, if it's anything in the restaurant marketing industry and, and writing an article about, you know, how to leverage and, and you know, showcasing the storytelling inside of your restaurant, um, all the way through what we do with Ford, which is large screen display at trade shows, you know, there are very specific groups on Twitter with chats. There's great, um, you know, specific kind of trade magazines that, that their marketers really actually read. Um, so we've focused any kind of PR effort we have there and then the rest of our content writing are internally um, to drive that inbound. Are you only working with the brands uh, on that side of the business or are you also doing things on the consumer side? Yeah, it, it kind of is a variety of things. I mean, we, we, like for Ford, we'll work on trade shows and display and analytics around that. Um, with someone like a Dick Sporting Goods, we're actually working, you know, more to activate their audience on Instagram around a campaign. So they're running, they're doing something about running in the spring, and then we'll bring in like our influencers to go ahead and promote and build that that lift on that that campaign they're running there. So we don't. I mean, our touch point with the consumer is almost exclusively in in our software and the way that we aggregate the content and, and message and those things. But, um, we don't have any consumer application other than we recruit in for the influencer network for brands. And before the the call, you've kind of described having a, I guess a multi-tiered system of service, um, where some brands, they really like what you're doing. They, they, um, they wanted a little bit more from you. Um, how do you guys balance that um, in terms of deciding what to take on and what fits into your product vision? Yeah, I mean, you know, we while we've raised money, we're we're still not like an extremely hugely funded company here. So, um, you know, there's been survival. Uh, you know, hey, yeah, let's let's take that sort of custom product feature on and build it uh, is out of necessity to just you know keep filling the pipeline with revenue. Um, and, and now, I mean, I think we're you know, our kind of a, our decision point on customer request has to say, you know, primarily is, okay, you know, is this going to be something we'll absolutely reuse for at least two or three customers? Is it kind of accretive in that financial sense that building it in isn't distracting us from the long-term play? I mean, definitely, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, um, someone like Ram Trucks comes to you and says, we well, need to build this custom thing in there. And you're like, how much are you going to pay? Okay, yeah, uh, definitely we'll do that. Um, and your team sort of goes, wait a second. I'm like, it's okay, just do it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you, you balance that all the time. And, and the challenge really now, which is, I guess, a cool one, is that they still come to you asking those questions. And your internal debate has a lot more to do with the relationship with the client and whether or not you think it's effective. But also, and this is, I think, harder for a lot of early stage companies to decide is it's not really does it just fit into your product vision, but is, are you learning something here because you didn't build, like you're too far ahead of them still, 
So there's something they need that they can't handle to get to the core of what you're really doing. And so we still see that happen where someone will say like, yeah, we really want to integrate this in, but like our team doesn't, isn't there yet. So could you do that? And that case is, is a little bit trickier to decide because it's about, it's a little longer play with your customer where you're going to take some resources off product to just say, Hey, you know, we want them in for the long run. Is this making us, you know, more deeply, uh, integrated into their system? So, you know, we're not a, we're not a custom dev shop, but, um, any, any scrappy early stage guy knows they've done some weird things before that just keep the lights on. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's really cool. We're, we're in kind of a similar situation now with a, a big customer and, we're trying to figure out how to cross the bridge. Um, do we build these custom features for them, even though they don't really fit into our roadmap, or do we take the risk and say, you know, you have to find that somewhere else? So it's really good. Um, oh, so it seems like working with these big brands with really specific needs, it would be really hard to find some commonality in the product that work work across the board how do you really decide like what features are going to be reused or able to be reused in the future um, when you're faced with some of these decisions to do something custom yeah i mean like kind of we're talking about one of the harder things and i think lesson learned on our part through a couple iterations of the company was to dashboard out the actual use of things we're building um, and it could be as simple as setting up a Google Analytics event to track if someone clicked on something because they, they said they were going to use it, but they didn't. Um, and so some of the things that we try to make sure there's some sort of validation step in the product feature build. So even if it's a little bit of a, hey, we don't know if anyone else is going to use this, let's at least track on the most you know minimum viable part of that feature to say that, like, yeah, it's being clicked on, let's support it, and instead of trashing it down the road. Uh, I don't know that there's like some sort of prescribed answer for that other than, you know, your, your gut data gut sort of thing. <laughs> when you're like working with a client, you just kind of like make it work. But what we have found is that um, we're not afraid to like trash things and throw them away and, and just be like, let's get that out. So I think we go through like a cycle of like, hey, does anybody know of a customer that's using that? No, there's no data. They're doing it. Cool. Can we like not have to maintain that anymore? Um, and, that, and it sucks because, you know, product people in early stage, it's like so fun to be like, well, we built this and there's 17 different versions of that <laughs> that you have. And, and your client's like, yeah, but we just used the one. And yeah. the only one that <laughs> you gave us. So it's, I don't know, I think it's kind of funny. I mean, uh, I think when, you're, when you don't, it's easier now for us because when you have people using your product on a daily basis and for significant purposes, it's so much clearer. It's the early stage when you're sort of like, well, we got two people in and we think they're in there every other day. And they kind of click on some yeah. stuff, but we don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. You start overthinking it and you build this thing and then you're like, I don't know. And so yeah. I think like we did a lot of that stuff early on. We had like five customers. Now it's kind of, it's easier to make the decision because it's like, look, we know no one's going to use that or no one's, you know, whatever. So well, I wanted to answer to say. Uh, there is no answer. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of gut. And... <laughs> so um, you've been really influential in the um, Ohio entrepreneurial ecosystem. Um, what kind of gets you excited about uh, doing that in the at the local scale? 
I, I think for me, the passion around it was, you know, a little competitive in that I just was so tired of hearing on two sides of this argument. One is that you can't do it because it just becomes annoying. And it's like, well, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like there's some pressure that I can't. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of the the media conversation, even locally. And the other side of the coin was I was really tired of hearing people saying, you know, hey, Forbes said that we were going to be the next Silicon Valley. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> and they said like and like that was really good for selling magazines in Columbus. Like um, Is that why they do it? <laughs> We've yeah, been that city, like for five five years yeah, straight, I feel like. No one knows, but like actually every mid tier city has been named like the Silicon Valley of next year. Oh, um, that's brilliant. <laughs> so good marketing. The city gets really behind that and thinks it's recruiting in, you know, companies from all over the world or whatever. Um as it turns out, it's not. But um, I think for, for me, the passion is just, you know, I, I would like to do what I want to do where I want to do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this happens to be Columbus today. But, I, don't, I mean, it could be, you know, Boulder, Colorado tomorrow or, or somewhere else. And, and when I got back here, I was just um, excited about it. I knew there was other passionate people. And a lot of it was just going to be educating everyone around us that, Hey, you know, it's going to take some thing called angel capital and there's going to be, um, you know, a lot of other parts of the system that are going to have to come to bear for the survival of these early stage companies. And, and I think, you know, selfishly and sort of the vanity of it also is that it's, it's an easy thing to talk about. Everyone gets excited about startups, even if they're not in startups, because, you know, there's there's just some some more to hope that everyone has that they're going to one time quit their cube job, and you know go do their own thing. And I like wearing shorts to work. I like working with people I like to work with, and um, I think this part of the the business life cycle is really exciting. So you know that's why I got involved, and um, it's really fun to it's really fun to support you know the the system like that. Yeah, I mean, you guys even raised locally, which I was really excited to hear. Um, tell it. Do you feel like the the pitch to a local VC um, is different than a pitch to say a New York City or a San Francisco VC? Oh, it's totally different. Okay. I mean, um, you know, we raise the money here, and we are um, we were fortunate. We've had a couple people uh, locally in Columbus who have organized a, a very large number. Um, uh, of angels in an angel group. So uh, not to suggest that they're super angels like you might find in, uh, um, you know, some sort of ex-Google sort of angel thing or whatever, but uh, the peop- there's a lot of people, so the network's decently large. Um, <clears throat> that's doing it great from an educational standpoint in our market here. The pitch is totally different in that the deal flow that people see here at an angel level is not the deal flow that they're going to see at Ron Conway's office. Um, so I think we're competing at a different place, but also understanding that, um, when you're going into a angel or a VC in New York or San Fran or whatever the case may be, um, there may be a little bit different level of sophistication and fund size. And I think that's one of the harder things that like entrepreneurs like, well, I can't get to union square and pitch. And it's like, well, they have like billions of dollars to manage versus, tens of millions. Mm -hmm. And so they have to bet on deals that they think are going to be putting 10, 20, $30 million over the life of it. Your company may only need to raise $2 million to be successful. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's just a scale difference. And I think that scale isn't here yet. Although we we're fortunate we have drive capital here, which is Mark Kwame and Chris Olson, ex Sequoia guys 
raised a pretty big fund in their first fund. So we're getting a flavor of that here. Um, but no, it's, it's different. I mean, it's just different too, because you know, let's be honest. I mean, that's, that's still new here. I mean, people that are angel investors are not ex entrepreneurs. Many times they're, they're a technology entrepreneurs. So they, they're ex, you know, maybe they're former lawyers or doctors and this is like hobby. Um, okay. Versus a, versus a professional angel investor, which is putting a quarter million dollars a year into different companies. And that's their job. Um, so I think that's just the kind of the approach, knowing who your audience is, is different. I definitely went in swinging for the fences or, you know, overthinking they knew way too much about what I was talking about the first few times. And you're like, all right, well, hold on, back this down, put it at a, a level that they will care about and understand about. And uh, a lot of it here is, I call it like, it's like charity investing. Like they love the local entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and they want to support them versus it's, I mean, yes, we want to bring a return. They want a return, but I think they all know it's like they just invested in charity. Okay. <laughs> Would you, you know. say that uh, the investors there locally are more conservative um, and less risk averse, meaning they're less likely to, likely to take a chance on just an idea and really want to see some revenue coming in and some math before they they really give you anything? And then kind of in the same vein, are they really just looking to kind of beat the stock market really on or some other investment on their returns versus going for like the hundred X times their money? Yeah. You know, I, I think it's, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I would hate to ever say like they're, I don't think they're, uh, people like to talk about like unsophisticated or, or dumb money or whatever. I think that's, it's, it's easy to say that because it's, you know, you're not talking to, um, you know, like I said, like a Ron Conway here, but it's a different approach. So when I say like they think they're do- donating to a charity, I don't mean they don't want a return. I-, I mean, they understand that there's a very high likelihood of it's like sitting at the blackjack table. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's a pretty good chance that their, their money may be gone. That's not what they want, but that's a good chance. So in terms of beating the stock market and conservative nature of it, I don't, I don't know that they're more conservative. For example, like we raised money, we didn't have a product at all. We had some good validation points, some alpha testing, but we really didn't have, we had no revenue. It was a consumer product at the time even. Uh, it was very risky. Um, so I would even say to a certain extent that I think like the more sophisticated the investors, the less risky they are. They also have the luxury of being in that, right? I mean, if you're hard, you're picking from, you know, the top people versus, you know, the rest of the country who's going to maybe be recruiting in and they're going to get some top people, but they may not have been the first choice for whatever reason. Right. So, really interesting. I, I, yeah, I think that's kind of the, the point where we get to with here, which is that um, I, I would say that I think they've evolved. They know that the cost of getting to this first set, set of milestones, like everyone else knows, is is gone down. Um, and the one thing I think, I, you know, as an Ohio kind of investor would say is that we're used to making things that make money right away, and so a lot of people here that are at the stage of their lives where they can invest have built things and companies and activities and services that they could pay, you know, got paid for right out of the gate. Um, and so the concept of like building it and then turning the revenue on later is a little, it's still a little foreign here. So I think you have a better chance of success with investors. If you're, if you're like, Hey, no, like, like we got that thing called a PO and we're on the vendor list and we got like a check that came in and we started, this is a really funny story. You guys get a kick out of this. 
we had a consumer application we were pitching an investor and he goes well so who who get like who sends you the purchase order <laughs> and I was like yeah um, so I don't I don't know actually I don't, I don't think that's going to come to us so you know it's just that was, but this guy built like a 400 million dollar company right. and sold something right and I was just like oh man like <laughs> Just, he's not dumb. He just no, it's he's not, not his world. God, he, he could he could like mop me up like every day. <laughs> just was it was one of those things where I just kind of luckily I had like a board member who was a little older. And he was like, "Here, I'll take this one." I'm like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I know what a PO is. Like, I worked at General Electric and stuff, but I was just like dumbfounded for a moment. I'm like, oh no, no. Yeah, this might not work because there's yeah. <laughs> there's no PO. And you know coming. what though? Uh, on a follow-on round for us, he did write a check. God bless him. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> he stuck with but by it. By then, we were getting POs. So okay. I guess he was right all along. <laughs> he got the final word. He was actually just trying to get you to pivot, maybe. Yeah, he was <laughs> like... <laughs> well, that's great. So where can we keep up with you and Scene online? Yeah, we, um, we're we pretty active. Um, ScenMoment.com is our site, um, thanks to the domain hoarders of the world. Um, <laughs> And we have a we have a cool blog that we we do really try to just spill out as much information uh, around brand marketing and, and visual marketing sort of content stuff. Um, happy to keep up there. You find me on, on Twitter. I, I don't claim to be you know crazily active, but um, between LinkedIn and Twitter is probably the the most publishing you'll see me do. So uh, I like to connect on that, and definitely. Uh, well, I'd love to hear from, from other people in the space. Awesome. We'll, we'll leave some links at the bottom of the episode um, so people can connect with you. Um, really appreciate you coming on here. Yeah, um, thanks so much, Brian. This yeah. was great. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate you having on. Thanks for uh, doing what you're doing. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you haven't yet, pop open iTunes and subscribe to be notified of future episodes. We have some really great ones lined up. And while you're there, leave us a review. We really appreciate each and every one of them. Get sold.